0: Oh, let's get it. Monday, February 15th, 2021, Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope you had a great week outside of podcast land. It is the day after Valentine's Day. Hope you got something good for your significant other. I think I did. It's also President's Day. So some of you may have the day off. Enjoy that. Uh, I might. I don't know if I have the day off today or not. I don't know. This is a pre-recording. I don't plan more than two days ahead of time anyways. Um, By the way, it is official. The 11th Secretary of Veterans Affairs is Dennis McDonough. It's Dennis with one N, by the way. He was sworn in recently. I got his hello, this is me video in my inbox. He also has a message posted on blogs.va.gov, which talks about his priorities with his appointment. If you don't go to blogs.va.gov very much, check it out. Uh, In addition to that, there's a lot of vaccine articles, how to get the vaccine at the VA, as well as how your designated caregiver can also get the vaccine at VA. In addition, I saw a pretty cool article on veterans using beekeeping as an alternative uh, therapy. Ton of great stuff on there. I digress. Again, I look forward to putting that full court press on Secretary McDonough to get him here on the show as soon as possible. If there's anything now, I know I I don't know if I should be asking this. I'm gonna do it anyways. If there's anything in general, overarching questions about a program or a policy. If you have a question for the secretary that you want me to ask when I eventually get him on the podcast, feel free to send me that question. Email it to me at podcastva.gov. Couple of ratings, however, no new reviews on Apple Podcasts this week. However, we did crack the top 25 in our category. So definitely appreciate you listening and helping us punch up there so we're more searchable for more veterans. If you like what we're doing here, feel free to shoot a rating and or review over there at Apple Podcasts. And please tell a friend or two what we're doing here on the pod. We got three news releases this week. First one says for immediate release, the Department of Veterans Affairs administered 1 million doses of the COVID-19 vaccine in 90 days to veterans and VA healthcare workers. As of February 2nd, so a couple weeks ago, VA has dispensed at least one dose of either the Pfizer in biotech or the Moderna vaccine to more than 582,000 veterans and is fully vaccinated over 44,000, totaling more than 626,000 doses. This is in addition to administering more than 401,000 doses to VA employees and more than 1,200 vaccine doses to federal partners, other people and other agencies. VA is currently providing vaccines at more than 215 sites nationally with plans to expand to additional sites as vaccine supplies increase. As with states distributing vaccines, VA is currently in the limited supply phase, anticipating an increase in weekly vaccine doses in March. Until VA receives an increase in vaccines, many facilities may temporarily run out of vaccines for short periods of time. VA will continue to follow current CDC guidelines and the VA COVID-19 vaccine distribution plan, until new CDC guidance is available. The distribution plan lays out VA's overarching intent. The federal government will continue to work with states and the private sector to effectively execute an aggressive vaccination strategy, focusing on the immediate actions necessary to convert vaccines into vaccinations. Currently, VA is reaching out to veterans who are eligible for vaccination. Veterans who would like additional information can visit the VA COVID-19 vaccine webpage, and you can do that by going to va.gov. It's a link that's right up top right under coronavirus information, or you can visit your local facility's website or contact their care team directly through phone or email. Okay, next one says, for immediate release, the Department of Veterans Affairs recently launched a new genomic research tool designed to help VA researchers learn more about how conditions such as cancer, diabetes, and heart disease affect veterans from minority backgrounds. Debuting in January, the laboratory tool known as the Ethnic Focus Genotyping Array, or DNA chip, will test more than 750,000 genetic variants, including over 300,000 that are, common, that are more common in minority populations. The tool was custom-built for VA's Million Veteran Program, which studies how genes affect health. A genotyping chip is a piece of glass about the size of a postage stamp, so it's a chip. Interesting. It's about the size of a postage stamp containing hundreds of tiny bits of synthetic DNA. These DNA probes allow researchers to identify genetic variants in the DNA of research volunteers. Whoa. The probes also associate certain health traits, like increased risk for a disease or unfavorable reactions to a drug with specific genetic patterns. This can lead to new treatment approaches for patients with those gene profiles. Some heavy stuff. With more than 830,000 veteran volunteers currently enrolled, MVP is one of the largest health and genetic databases in the world and has generated dozens of influential scientific publications. Million Veteran Program is also one of the world's most diverse genomic databases, with about a quarter of the enrollees belonging to minority groups. MVP has been successful in engaging veterans from minority communities, in part thanks to VA's Center for Minority Veterans. The two plan to collaborate this year and beyond to further boost involvement of Black, Hispanic, and other minority veterans in the Landmark Genomic Research Program. To learn more about the Million Veteran Program, go to www.mvp.va.gov. Some next-level stuff there. All right, and the last one, a really good one if you're a veteran nonprofit looking to support disabled veterans. It says, for immediate release, the Department of Veterans Affairs is accepting applications from community organizations through March 31st up to $16 million in grant funding to provide adaptive sports and therapeutic recreational opportunities for disabled veterans and members of the armed forces. VA is awarding grants to qualifying organizations to plan, develop, manage, and implement a variety of sports and activities for veterans, including cycling, kayaking, archery, and skiing. To be eligible for a grant, an organization must be a non-federal entity with significant experience in managing a large-scale adaptive sports program. In fiscal year 2020, VA awarded nearly $15 million in adaptive sports grants to 116 organizations headquartered in 37 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. Programs funded through these grants are estimated to serve more than 13,000 veterans and service members across the country. Of the total awarded, $1.5 million was used to assist organizations that offer equine-assisted therapy to support mental health. Applications must be submitted online by March 31st at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. VA will announce award decisions this fall based on a competitive selection. Details of the notice funding opportunity, including frequently asked questions and additional information, can be viewed under the Grant Programs tab online at blogs.va.gov forward slash nvspse forward slash grant hyphen program. Their homepage is on blogs.va.gov. Another reason for you to check it out. All right. So this week's guest sent me an email out of the blue uh, to podcast.va.gov a couple of months ago. And he wrote to me a story about how he recently, and I'm talking recently, got out and he became what's called an instrumentation on automation controls technician uh, and it had how he went through a program to make that happen. Uh, again, I, I know nothing about this. And he didn't ask to come on, but I invited him on because I could feel that by the way he wrote the email, he just wanted others to know about the opportunity that he was afforded through Rockwell's Academy of Advanced Manufacturing. Now, this isn't a pitch to use your GI Bill or anything like that, because as you'll hear, Rockwell didn't even ask for any GI Bill money. They just wanted a body trained in this specific industry. And when I looked up this program, on a brochure, they touted an 80% placement into career advancing roles with starting salaries ranging from $50,000 to $80,000. The program coupled with the video that he sent me and the words in the email, our guests intrigued me so much, I just asked him to come on. So, without further ado, here is Air Force veteran, Jackson Henderson. Enjoy. Uh, really appreciate you reaching out to talk about your journey here on Born in the Battle. Yeah, thank you. Um, I
1: just came across it and I was like, oh, uh, it'd be nice to help out some other people do what I did. So, um, yeah, I figured I'd reach out and just tell y'all to, to you know, get, do some research and, and learn about that program and Then you was like, "Hey, come on our podcast." I was like, "Oh, okay."
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the way you wrote your email, there's a lot of passion behind it. I could tell, and it sounds like you're like, "Hey, this helped me." Well, that's what this that's what Born the Battle is all about. Hey, what helped you transition? Hey, we're gonna talk about it. Okay. First thing I'm I'm gonna ask you that we ask every guest here on Born the Battle is when did you know? Stepping back, when did you know that the Air Force was gonna be the next journey in your life?
1: So, I actually had a friend who joined the Air Force. Uh, This was back in, I think, around 2013 or 2014. And, you know, he he goes in and I'm like, man, the Air Force, weird. (laughs) And... And then, you know, he's in, he's loving life or whatever. And I'm like, all right, I guess it's my turn. And then I had another friend that went in as well. He went in at CCT. Uh, So my first friend, his name is Jesse Amoson. He's uh, security forces. And then my other friend... uh, Austin Snyder, he tried to go in as a CCT and then like 90% of other people, he ended up failing out. And I think he tried to go TACP, but now he's like uh, like a registered EMT in the, in the Air Force. So they just, you know, they reclass you. So yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what he does now. But, you know, it was just that it wasn't peer pressure, but it was more like influence. It was like, hey, I'm doing something that I really enjoy that is life changing. Uh, you want to give it a shot as well. So that's it was about 2015 as when as when I just fully decided, yeah, I'm doing this.
0: Oh, so you rec- you've recently gotten out. Yes. You, you had, I mean, wow. Yeah. No, yeah. I uh, my my brother was the same influence on me as well. He he joined the army and then he joined the air force. Uh, he got married to a girl in the air force up in uh, Alaska. Okay. Uh, when he was at Fort Rich- When he was at Fort Richardson, I think she was at Elmendorf. And uh, they brought me down when I was 17 to Travis Air Force Base in the early 2000s. I was like, man, this is, this ain't bad. So, <laughs> what, did I do? so what did I do? I turned around and joined the Marine Corps, you know? <laughs> 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 um, but no, I was, a real. Oh, everyone's got this story about when they were, were going to join the service. Well, I got a story when I was going to join the Air Force, uh, I'd, I had too many speeding tickets and a uh, recruiter wouldn't even send me to MEPS. He was like, no, I'm not Oh, speed.
2: wow. It, yeah,
0: Yeah. So, the Marine Corps recruiter to, to show the brotherhood of the Marine Corps. He said, well, I, uh, I can pay those, not a problem. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, much like the mob is that's how, that's how I joined the Marine Corps. Hmm. what did you do in the Air Force? And I think I heard in the Rockwell video that you were a an aircraft armament tech. Cause it sounds like you are already, in, you already played in a technical engineering type of world
1: while you were in so- So, yeah, I did aircraft armament systems. Uh, Basically, I was in charge of all the weaponry of the B-52. When you get into tech school, they basically classify you. uh, Well, actually, it really starts in basic training. Uh, They go through your background and decide who is able to do what. And Mm -hmm. they're like, hey, you're really boring. Uh, You haven't done any crime. So, congratulations. (laughs) you You have a top secret security clearance, and we're going to send you to Minot, North Dakota, to load nukes. So I'm like, all right, cool. Because the people who have like done stuff, they can't send them to get a top secret security clearance, so they don't even yeah. make it. Yeah. They have to go. You know, all those people are like uh, fighter jet.
0: So you went. You so you so they told you why not Minot?
1: Yeah, that is correct.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, while you were in, give me either a best friend or, or your greatest mentor?
1: Oh man. Uh, there's so many. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. So I, I spent a lot of time with, um, this guy Dalton Montana
0: and, um, His name is Dalton Montana. Yeah. <laughs> that's, not like, that's, not, that's not like an actor name or wrestler name. No, Outstanding no. <laughs> Dalton Montana. Love it. Yeah. So, um, we,
1: we, we were like a, a class next to each other in tech school.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And so um, we had very similar people that we knew and stuff like that. So um, it was one of those things where like, Hey, I know you, and you know, me, let's hang out. So yeah. um, we, we spent a lot of time together, you know, we're, we're getting to know what to do and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's nice to cling to somebody and have somebody like that. And, um, Let's see. there's a guy, Reyes, um uh, shoot his first name is slipping my my mind, uh Emil, uh but he he's he stayed in um Dalton stayed in, and there's a good bit of other people um i I got a guy named um I call him Leek, but he um his name is Malik Hardy, but we ended up meeting, and we we do music. And he lives in Tennessee, I live in Tennessee, but we live on opposite sides of the state. I'm in Memphis and he's in like Knoxville area, Oak Ridge. I, I've even driven to go see him uh, ever since I've been out. We've hung out. So it's, as I said, as many of people that I've tried to try to
0: keep up with. It's important. That's important, especially when you go through a transition like this. So you had a pretty tight group that you all kept each other out of trouble.
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think that, uh, that was a key thing while you're in, is just, uh, especially when you're a minor, uh, there's not a lot of stuff to do. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you want to find people who are interesting to preoccupy your time and we will take trips. Um, there's, there, there was actually a guy that I hung out with who, uh, was from South Dakota and, uh, his name is Kyle Nickerson. And okay. he, um, he was from South Dakota, which was, a Rapid City, South Dakota, which was like six hours from Minot. So mm-hmm. um, he was like, hey man, you want to come to my place, my parents' house? And I was like, yeah, sure. So we just, you know, stayed the night with his parents and um, he drove me around Rapid City. That's where uh, Mount Rushmore is and whatnot. So that was, um, that was really fun.
0: So did you spend your entire enlistment in Minot? I did. Yeah. yeah
1: bro. I, from basic training in San Antonio to tech school in Wichita Falls. And then that was about six months, the, those two together. And then yeah. um, after that, straight to Minot.
0: Man. So, but you got out, so you got out last year?
1: Uh, I actually got out in 2018, I think. Uh, I got, I, it was medical. Um Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I messed up my back while I was in. So that's why I got out. But yeah. Um, so it was like three years and like six months, I think I was in.
0: Talk to me about your, your transition. So when like what, I what, got, what, 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 what the first day you got out? What was that day like?
1: Joy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just such a long process of the medical yeah. getting out through medical and I, yeah, you know, I actually tried to stay in. I I asked them to allow me to cross train. And yeah. they were like, because, you know, being aircraft maintenance, you're constantly running around, picking up stuff, bending over. It, and I was like, it's not good for my back. Give me something that I could do yeah. that's not going to torture me. And yeah. uh, they were like, nope, uh, we're just going to medically discharge you. And I was like, all right, cool. So I got so out.
0: I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was, <laughs> was going to say, did that, did that. So at what point? and and was there a point where joy turned to all right now what
1: yeah absolutely um so me and my wife we actually traveled a good bit uh she's from ohio so okay. we we actually had to drive separately from Minot to um alabama so we we did that in like 26 hours straight and then uh, <laughs> then we drove Uh, to her parents' house and hung out there and then just drove down the coast, the East coast and just, you know, vacation, just traveled and enjoyed ourselves. And then after that, it was like, all right, back to reality. Um, We need jobs. So (laughs) um, I searched around and applied for everything. I thought about becoming a police officer and I even went through like their physical test and passed that. And then it was like, I had to do the background check and, um, while they were in the process of doing that, I got a phone call from a guy. This is actually another uh, opportunity for veterans, but, um, I got a phone call from a guy. He said, Hey, I'm a retired, uh, what was he? I think he was like a retired Colonel in the air force. And he started a program. Um, uh, shoot. I can't think of the name of it right now, but it was basically training uh, military veterans on how to, do things with like um, cell phone communications uh, on like the towers, you know, like the cell phone towers. Yeah, Um, And basically it was training people how to do that. It was in Massachusetts and he was like, um, you know, we'll, we'll pay for it. All you have to do is pay for your, your meals uh, for certain amount of days and we'll give you some money for that. And, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll pay for your hotel and all you have to do is just come here and train for two weeks and um, you should be able to have a job right after that. And I was like, "All right, well, I'm actually not too fond of heights," but I was like, <laughs> I "Need a job it pays well." So, yeah, um, went up there for two weeks in Massachusetts. Never been to Massachusetts before, and it was a very fun experience. And I ended up getting a job immediately. Uh, a company called me from Georgia, and. I worked for them for maybe a little over a month. And then I got another phone call for the AAM program. So it was just, you know, I did a lot of legwork trying to find jobs, but uh, these companies found me through, you know, I guess certain services or just me just putting my name out there through uh, websites and just looking for jobs.
0: I was wondering how they found you. Do you, do you, did you, do you know directly how they found you? Like which site
1: so I know for sure, AAM found me through ClearanceJobs.com um, okay, because exactly. I have a because I had the top secret. I um, went on ClearanceJobs.com, and they that website is specifically for people who have like either secret, like a secret clearance or top secret, or it's yeah. it's got different levels. So yeah, they know if you have just just secret, then you could get these jobs, or if you have top secret, then you could get these jobs. So they basically. Yeah filter out what you have. And then like, Hey, these jobs have opened up uh, because you have this clearance.
0: Did either one of these, or did both of these use your GI bill?
1: Uh, Neither one of them did actually.
0: Did it cost any money out of pocket for either one of these? Um, Just
1: for like meals and stuff like that. Uh, Really? Yeah. The, the travel I had to, when I traveled to, um, Massachusetts. I had to just pay for my own way up there and pay for my own way back. Some people flew, but I drove. I was like, yeah, screw it. I'll drive. But, yeah.
0: um, so for the, for the court, the cell phone, uh, basically tower course and for the Rockwell's automation Academy of advanced manufacturing, there was no like tuition that you had to pay through like a GI bill or anything.
1: No cost to me whatsoever. Interesting. And they said that training for that, program was probably worth maybe
0: $40,000, $50,000. Interesting. So now you're, you're an electrical technician out of Memphis, Tennessee, home of good barbecue, <laughs> two Kings, Elvis and Jerry, Jerry, the King Lawler. Yes, sir. And home of former Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, Sergeant Major Kent. You know, how did you find your way to the career that you have? Uh, did you have these, I mean, was it would you would you accredit to would you accredit it all to the the Rockwell Academy or, or were some of these skills that you learned in service
1: Yeah I mean I got a little bit of electrical experience and mechanical experience uh, when I was in the Air Force and that's what allowed me to press through in the AEM program you had to like take tests uh, before you even got there it was it was truly an academy they they called you and it's like hey um, we want you to do this, but we need you to take a test to be able to even come here because we don't want to waste your time. We don't want to waste our time and also money. So, yeah. um, they gave us like two tests to take before we even got there. And they said, Hey, you've passed the test. Uh, we'd like to f- officially invite you to come down here. So, uh, once I made it there, it's very rigorous, um, the program itself, as far as the amount of time we spent, it was like a full-time job, uh, eight hours a day, five days a week. uh, We're learning uh, we're, you know, full-time learning. So it was, it was a mixture of my past experience as well as all the experience we got in the program.
0: Tracking. Uh, Rockwell Automation Academy of Advanced Manufacturing, not a traditional university. It's not a Penn State. It's not a state university or anything like that. Talk to me about working in the manufacturing sector of America, because you always hear that you need to go to university, you need to go to university, you need to go to university. But you know, as Mike Rowe says, trades aren't dead either. And some folks should look at trade schools.
1: Absolutely. Um, Another thing before I uh, went to that program, Alabama is doing something to where they're trying to get uh, more people to do trade. I want to say it's free education. Uh, basically, you have to go and learn, and then companies basically get first dibs on you. So wow. I was really learning about this whole trade thing, and I was like, "Man, that's that seems like that's the that's the move for people to do is to learn a trade." And so when I got to manufacturing, I, I didn't you know I didn't really know what manufacturing was. I was just like hoping (laughs) they give me the best explanation they could. So (laughs) um, when I, after I get out of the program and I'm actually on site, so I work at Owens Corning, like the shingle manufacturer. um, I'm there and I'm like, oh, this is what this is. I even had, I had to go on site interviews, like while I'm in the program, they're like, all right, um, y'all have two days where you can go on site to the companies and, Take a interview, so um we have to take a flight out of Wisconsin, and we go I went to um Memphis first, and then the next day I had to fly out to uh compton and, lo- and like the Los Angeles area and um wow. basically just tour the the facilities and see how I like it and it was really eye opening because number one I'd never seen anything like that uh being in a a shingle manufacturing company. And so I, it was, I, it wasn't overwhelming, but it was just like eye opening. It was like, oh man, this, this is what this is. This is, you know, my job will be to make sure this place runs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so was it more like a rec like a recruiting tour? It sounds like like you're a free agent in the NFL and, and it's like, Hey, these companies want you go tour them.
1: Yeah. I mean, wow. so When you, when you get there, you're Peyton Manning, dude.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome to hear.
1: It's, it's cool because like when we're there, um, they're letting us know like, Hey, these companies had to pay for, to be able to hire you. Like they're paying thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars just to hire us. And, um, but we we get to pick which ones that we want to work for. Like we get to pick like it's kind of like your dream dream sheet, where like you pick the places you want to go, but you're not gonna get there. <laughs> you can you can pick them, you know which where you want to go when you're in the military. But like it, the chances of you getting your top one are very slim. So that's yeah. basically what happened with us is they're like, hey, pick the top eight companies you want to work for. So we picked them and. Then it was up to the companies to look at our resumes and think to themselves, okay, do we want this person? So when the companies told Rockwell, hey, this is a lot of people that we would like to hire, the companies came to Rockwell and interviewed us. And then that was like the first round was like they interviewed all of us. And then they picked their top three. And then we got to go on site we flew out to their locations and um, and interviewed again
0: so once you got to the top three they kind of just matched your top three your with their top three and see what would be the best fit
1: correct we got a choice to other companies but then they were ultimately deciding who they really want to hire sure sure
0: this seems like a fairly new concept and and Rockwell puts this on it's it's a private company. But I've seen stuff like this in a previous. Uh, you know, I did a previous episode with uh, my old CEO, Danny Chung, uh, Marine Corps veteran. Uh, he he's the director of, of of military affairs for for Microsoft, and they do something similar like this for the digital private sector. But I don't think I don't think we got into like the draft portion of. We just got into the education. Um, <laughs> first of all, I, I want to put this out there: Rockwell isn't paying you to be here talking with me, like Microsoft paid Danny to talk about the program because he was the director of the education, right? Like. Michael right. yeah. isn't paying you. You you just hit me up at, at the podcast email because you had that much passion to share your story.
1: Absolutely the the program literally changed my life. Like I'm I'm so excited that that came across because you know when they're pitching it to us they're like, hey, we have this program. We're training highly skilled military veterans on how to work with PLCs, computers, drives, motors. What's a PLC? So a PLC is a programmable logic controller. And so okay. basically what it's doing is it's just controlling a a series of events. Okay. And so I had no idea what that was before. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, yeah I got no
0: idea. I'm I'm thinking like an Xbox. I'm probably way off base, and I'm probably but I'm probably thinking like a PS5 controller or an Xbox controller. <laughs> you know. But. It's basically just like a small module tracking. Um, how did they teach you? What was the, what was the education like? What was it? Was there prac app after being in class or I had to have been, be in manufacturing, right?
1: Yeah. So we're, they, Rockwell did a magnificent job of creating an environment for us. So they, and we actually were at the Rockwell headquarters in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and they dedicated a whole floor to for us. Like they they had meeting rooms up there that they would hold meetings. Even the CEO's office was on the same floor as us. But um they had like a, a classroom area for us so what you know we we come in, we we are taking notes, we have a teacher, and then he's like, all right, cool. Now that I taught y'all this, let's go to the lab. So then we go to the lab and then we'd literally be hands-on working with the stuff that we were just Learning about,
0: very good. So you're you're an electrical technician maintenance. Um, what other positions do folks train in? What what other positions can you get um, out out of this course?
1: So when we were about to leave, we were asking that same question. We were like, so what can we do? Like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what, yeah. every, everything you just trained us on. Like what what does it allow us to do? And they told us our official title. Which we were making jokes about this just because it's so long, but they were
0: saying you're welcome to the government. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> under secretary, the under secretary, under secretary assistant. Yeah,
1: yeah. So they told us we could be a instrumentation and automation controls technician. So anything that deals with <laughs> instruments.
0: Still have questions? I could just tell you have still questions. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Sorry.
1: So anything that's dealt with instruments and by instruments, I mean, like a, like a gauge, a probe, something that measures things, yeah. um, instrumentation automation. So the, the, the real truthful career field is automation. So what those PLCs are doing is it's like a computer and it's just telling stuff to do this, do that. So that's, that's automation. It's hands-off, nobody is manually doing stuff anymore. The future is automation. Let's, how, how can we get computers to uh, do more work and humans to do less work?
0: Yeah. Watching the Rockwell story that, that you were featured in, you mentioned an I love Lucy episode when you, <laughs> when you, when you equating what you originally thought about what manufacturing was to what you're talking about now, which is automation.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Like when they started talking about the, you know, automation and manufacturing. I, I, yeah. That's all I could think about was that. I love Lucy episode where she's taking the chocolates off the conveyor belt and cause <laughs> she can't, she can't keep up. So she just starts like eating them and putting them places and whatnot. So
0: I remember that.
1: That's what they're trying to eliminate in the, in the workforce is human error and let's get some robots to do stuff and let's get it's, you know, a lot of people are scared they're they're truly scared to see robots take human jobs, but in reality, yeah, what it's doing is freeing us up to do more highly skilled things. I, I I'm I'm doing a job that's really highly skilled that I was not even I, I had no idea I would ever do something like this before. But a lot of people when they see you know and they hear what I do now, they're like, oh my god, you know, you you have some engineering degree. I'm like, no, I just you know I work hard, I learn. And you know I'm able to do a highly skilled job, and that's that's what really they're trying to push for in the future is let's get humans to do more highly skilled things and and do that stuff instead of you know hurting our backs by picking up stuff all the day. You know, yeah. let's let's do other stuff.
0: So interesting, so interesting because I know nothing about it. Um, that's why <laughs> I have you on. <laughs> what, who, what are salaries like for the, for positions like yours? Where, where can you expect to start? I think I saw in a brochure. For the for the Rockwell School, uh, fifty to eighty thousand. That start now. Is that is that accurate?
1: Yeah. So some of the companies that were there. uh, So Tyson was there. Um, I said on another podcast that Hershey was there, but it wasn't Hershey. It was I'm pretty sure it was Nestle. Uh, So Nestle was there. Uh, Smuckers was there. uh, Owens Corning. So these are all big name companies. And some of them wanted to pay a salary. And then other ones were paying us hourly. So it's that that fluctuation in your financial status really changes because of the amount of hours we have to work. So, you know, if as I said, we're in charge of keeping that plant running. So if it's one o'clock in the morning and something goes down, we got to come in. And if you're hourly, sorry. But if you're hourly, awesome. Because, you know, you're making a little extra money in overtime. Yeah. So, um, yeah, some companies, I think... They were paying. Um, I don't know, maybe like I can't remember what the lowest was. It was in the, the about twenty dollars was like the lowest somebody was paying, yeah. and um, the highest I think anybody offered was um, hourly was um, forty five, and that was. Um the Compton Owens Corning because you know you're in the Los Angeles area it's yeah, this
0: yeah so you got to yeah. think about uh, cost of living cost of living exactly how much how much a gallon of milk costs um California and then you also have to consider you know benefits too absolutely health cost of care, cost of cost of uh, dental insurance do you have a family what what, what plans do they offer you got to go you got to go deep into the weeds and start doing the math because forty five dollars might sound great, but in Compton, like you said, the cost of living's high, and then if their benefits are crummy and expensive, you, you're down to that twenty dollars again. Exactly. Now you were in a technical field in the Air Force that many might consider similar to what you're doing now. Did you ever see any students that maybe had nothing to do with a technical job in the military, but they were training for a technical job now that you that were one of your classmates? And, and if so, how did they do?
1: I would actually say as far as um, true knowledge of what we were doing, I would say most people did have like a good electrical background, uh, which really helped. Um, Mechanical wasn't really what companies were looking for because they want us to know more about, you know, the PLCs and, you know, if you had to wire something up uh they they want you to have those skills so the mechanical aspects weren't really high and that's really what I had was more mechanical than electrical so i was actually one of the people who had the least experience uh when it came to like the electrical background got you uh
0: what about like i mean what do you think did you did you see any grunts any infantry guys any anybody that had no no even close to technical experience whatsoever in the military transfer over into something like this? Or was it mainly, hey, you got to have some sort of basic electrical knowledge?
1: Yeah, you, you have to have some sort of basic electrical knowledge. There was a guy, um, Dustin Rogers, he, um, he was in the Marines and he did not, he was in the infantry. But when he got out, he was in school in California doing like an electrical school. So yeah. I, I think he was doing like trying to become an electrician or something. So he had that electrical background just because he did that. So, gotcha. you know, if he hadn't have done that, he probably would have had the least electrical experience, but he had a, a good background just because he went there.
0: What, what, what do you think would be the best background from a military standpoint or from a personal standpoint? Like what can a person do now to train themselves or to, to get themselves ready to even go to a school like this?
1: I would definitely brush up on electrical skills uh, because that's really what shined out was people who knew stuff about different volts and current and knowing things about how processes work, uh, know how a computer works. Honestly, like if you can just work your way around a computer and changing IP addresses, networks. Uh, those types of things. Cause it's, it's a very well-rounded course. Like, as I said, it was such a long name instrumentation and automation controls technician, because we, they want us to know about instruments and that we have to know about computers and do networking and learn about IO and learn about IP, subnet mask, all these things. And yeah. um, I, w- I would definitely suggest somebody brush up on uh, networking Um, and that's not communicating with other people. That's networking as in. Communicate,
0: uh, computers communicating with each other.
1: Yeah. Like Cisco and stuff like that. So I would definitely suggest that. And also, you know, definitely know your electrical, your electrical background.
0: Very good. Very good. What's, what's entry level like and, and are there opportunities for advancement?
1: So entry level, what I do is, Um, I'm, I'm the only person actually in our plant that does specifically what I do. I do have somebody who is over me, uh, quote unquote, uh, he's our tech leader and, um, he just has a, he's a chemical engineer by trade, but he's been working for Owens Corning for over 20 years. So he, um he has a very good knowledge of like PLCs and drives motor stuff like that. Cause he is an engineer, yeah. but um,
0: to be, a, to be in the lead like that, you can come from a, a many different fields within the company. I'm sure.
1: Correct. Yeah. So, yeah. but if, if you're, as soon as you come out of the program, some, some of the companies want to hire us as a title as engineer and um, you know, and in, in society we view, if somebody says I'm an engineer, like, they think they're making millions of dollars and super smart and stuff like that. But I mean, in, in all reality, like, um, you know, I could be called an engineer or uh, just a technician, like technician and engineer really I've learned go hand in hand. Um, because the, the job titles are like automation technician or uh, controls engineer controls technician. Like the, the words are very interchangeable. So I've, I had a senior engineer in the company tell me, "It's like, hey, man, um, sky's the limit for whatever you want to do." He said, "We actually had one guy in Houston leave the company and start working for NASA as an engineer." And I was like, "Oh my god! Wow, wow!" Yeah.
0: Now, are are all of these types of jobs are they union or non union? Are they both? Can they be both? Uh, what have you seen?
1: So I know our plant is a union plant, but I'm not union. Like they hired me in as not a union worker. So uh, I would, I would assume that yes, you can be union, but uh, it really just depends up to the company and, and your
0: position. So. And what, and what the structure is at that particular plant. Gotcha. Gotcha. Correct. Jackson, what's one thing that you learned in service that you carry with you today and what you do?
1: I would definitely say like the discipline and the start to finish aspect and uh, attention to detail. Um, That's, that's something that's so huge because me dealing with programs, like I'm, I'm looking at logic code and I, I see all these processes in the code. And if I make one mistake and don't adhere to that, you know, exactly what I'm doing, then it could throw things off and we could have troubles for hours just because I didn't pay attention to what I was doing. Uh, Even our instructor was telling us that he, he was trying to do something. I forgot if he was like uploading, downloading a program or made a change and he shut a Pepsi plant down because of a mistake he made. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. And so, you know, that's where we do the math and it's, thousands of dollars like a minute that companies lose by not putting product out of the door. So we're we're in charge of doing that and and you know my my history in the military was bomb loading. So if I'm not careful loading bombs, that's people's lives. Yeah. Now I'm in that, you know, I'm not solely responsible for, but solely responsible for. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) so yeah, it's that attention to detail, have discipline to do what's right and understanding uh, the consequences of being lazy and doing the wrong thing. And then as I said, attention to detail, make sure that you, you know, fully understand what you're doing. Uh, Don't make a mistake just because you you're guessing Uh, just, just know what you're doing and um, be mindful of it. Very
0: good. Jackson, is there, a, is there a veteran nonprofit or a veteran whom you've worked with that you'd like to mention?
1: None that I can think of. I, I do know. Uh, so I have a, a best friend whose name is John Hill, and he's a pilot in the Navy. And his wife started a company called Vert Force. And Vert Force, what they do is they, uh, they help military spouses get jobs. And um, it was absolutely incredible uh, what she's been able to do in the short amount of time. But um, I I definitely want to give her a shout out on uh, Kim Hill. So that's that's her name. But, uh, yeah, it's something that I definitely support the fact that she is able she took it upon herself. Like, hey, I'm a military spouse. And if I needed a job, I want somebody to help me. So, uh, yeah, she's basically, you know, just helping people find a job virtually because if you're married to somebody in the military, you're moving wherever they're moving and you don't know anybody, you know, you're not, you're not in this community. So, um, she's definitely helping people changing their life, giving them a job to, to reach out to, um, you know, other people who are in that area. So it's, it's, or, you know, virtually that's, you know, that's the whole point of it. Is vert force. Can you find a job where you don't have to go in, oh. you know, if you've got kids and stuff like that.
0: Vert force. Okay. Yeah. I thought you said Burt force, like the A-10 Bert, you know, like. Bert. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah. Like, I was like, catch you for an Air Force spouse. Very good. No, like, you got vert yeah. force. Gotcha. Tracking, yeah. tracking. V I R
1: T. Yeah. Force. Yeah. Okay. B I R T Force, yeah.
0: Jackson, we, we we've covered a lot of ground in rel- a relatively short amount of time. Um is there anything that I didn't ask or maybe have missed that you'd like to share?
1: Um you know, I I just really stress to military veterans to research, definitely research um what you want to do. There's tons of opportunities out there if you know, a lot of people look down upon the guys that are standing in the median of the road begging for money. that were military veterans. And, you know, some people say, you know, those people are faking it. If if they are real or not, it's it saddens me to see that there are people who could possibly be a military veteran that just don't have a job. And they're, if they're mentally sound, like there's so many opportunities out there. As I said, two companies called me that I wasn't even looking for and they called me. So it's, there's way too many opportunities out there for military veterans to number one, not know what to do. And then number two, to not be doing anything. So I would definitely suggest just do some research, look some stuff up. There's plenty of like government websites where you can find jobs and um, just be able to support yourself, support your family and live a good life.
0: I was able to use the VA home loan two years ago to buy our home with zero money down. I was amazed that there was so much in place to really help the veterans and the VA serves as that catalyst of all those resources. Choose VA today. Visit va.gov. I want to thank Jackson for coming on Born the Battle to learn more about Jackson Henderson. Well, you can find him in Rockwell's video on YouTube about the Rockwell Academy of Advanced Manufacturing. And you can also find him on LinkedIn. I found this week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week on an Instagram post. The story was incredible. So I typed in the name and it was verified everywhere. And I'm going to go with what the army.mil had written up. Born William Henry Johnson in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, in 1892, Johnson moved to New York as a teenager. He worked various jobs as a chauffeur, soda mixer, laborer in a coal yard, and a red-cap porter in Albany's Union Station. He enlisted in the U.S. Army on June 5, 1917, and was assigned to Company C, the 15th Colored New York Infantry Regiment, an all-black National Guard unit. That would later become the 369th Infantry Regiment. The 369th was ordered into battle in 1918. Johnson and his unit were commanded by a French Army colonel in frontline combat. Johnson served one tour duty to the western edge of the Argonne Forest in France's Champagne region from 1918 to 1919. For his battlefield valor, Johnson became one of the first Americans to be awarded the French Croix de Gare. France's highest award for valor. And excuse me if I am butchering that award's name. I've always seen it, never knew how to say it. Johnson returned home from his tour and was unable to return to his pre-war porter position due due to the severity of his 21 combat injuries. Johnson died in July of 1929 and is buried in Arlington National Cemetery in Arlington, Virginia. Johnson was posthumously awarded the Purple Heart in 1996, in 1996, and the Distinguished Service Cross in 2002. In 2015, he was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor. Theodore Roosevelt Jr., in his book, Rank and File, True Stories of the Great War, stated that Sergeant Henry Johnson is one of the five bravest American soldiers of the Great War. The battle narrative I'm about to read is the write-up that the official citation for the Medal of Honor was written off of, and it reads as follows. Then Private Henry Johnson served as a member of Company C 369th Infantry Regiment, 93rd Division, American Expeditionary Forces, during combat operations against the enemy on the front lines of the Western Front in France. While on night sentry duty, On May 15, 1918, Johnson and a fellow soldier, Private Needham Roberts, received a surprise attack by a German raiding party consisting of at least 12 soldiers. While under intense enemy fire and despite receiving significant wounds, Johnson mounted a brave retaliation resulting in several enemy casualties. When his fellow soldier was badly wounded, Johnson prevented him from being taken prisoner by German forces. Johnson exposed himself to grave danger by advancing from his position to engage an enemy soldier in hand-to-hand combat. Wielding only a knife and being seriously wounded, Johnson continued fighting and took his bolo knife and stabbed it right through an enemy soldier's head. And it is written just like that. Displaying great courage, Johnson held back the enemy force until they retreated. The enemy raid's a failure to secure prisoners was due to the bravery and resistance of Johnson and his fellow comrade. The effect of their fierce fighting resulted in an increased vigilance and confidence of the 369th Infantry Regiment. Army veteran Henry Johnson, we honor his service.
2: Ready, Hey.
0: That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. You can catch the interviews on YouTube now. Pretty much any podcast, app, not a phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov and follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Rally Point, LinkedIn, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner and is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song and was written by Marine veteran Mark Milkilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Siever, and Michael Duncan. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you right here next week. Take care.
2: We gotta get them one way or the other, machine gun. bullets fly, they my brain. Simplified, fly, another can My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up millions. My pen is a 7-6-2 round. That'll cut them down in an instant. Point, click, pull the trigger to the tune of falling brown. purple heart and a russian-made bullet in my back raining down it, punching that clock get them boys i'm laying down cover machine bullets fly day and night rain. simplify do or die another campaign here we go lock and load 331 lug a thousand rounds and i ain't bringing back one